goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you are having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Monday, January 22nd, and I am so fired up. I'm so excited for today's podcast. I got to say, I had a presentation in my guitar class today, and it was a, it was really easy. It was a complete breeze. I mean, I put maybe like 30 minutes, 45 minutes into preparing it, and I just knocked it out of the park. I mean, you can ask me to do a lot of things. I have no idea how to do them. If you ask me to prepare a speech or a presentation, bam, mic drop. That is money in the bag. I can do that all day, every day. I am so excited and so fired up for today's podcast. I want to start with this. There is something that is just troubling me. I have so many questions and I'm so confused about this. Why does everybody hate the New England Patriots? I'm dead serious. I want to hear. I want you to tell me. Why do you hate the New England Patriots? Comment below. I'll read your comment on next episode. I want to know on Facebook, on YouTube, whatever it is. Tell me why you hate the New England Patriots. I'll leave it anonymous. I won't read your name unless you tell me you want me to. But I want to know why. I can't figure it out. I don't understand. Why do you hate the New England Patriots? Why does everybody seem to hate the New England Patriots? I admire, I respect the Patriots. I love what they're about. I love the way the Patriots win games. I'm not a Patriots fan. And in fact, many Patriots fans are awful and arrogant. They rub their success right in your face. It's not fun. You, you, we all have that one Facebook friend that is just obnoxious, who talks, always, always talking about how great the Patriots are, and it drives me nuts. But I don't let that get in the way of me liking and admiring the Patriots. I admire and respect them. Their hard work their preparation, the way they win fascinates me and I strive to be like them. They win because they are smarter than you. They're smarter than me. They're smarter than everybody they play. The Patriots do not have dominating athletes. They're not the Pittsburgh Steelers. They don't have a Hall of Fame running back, a Hall of Fame receiver. They have Tom Brady and they're smarter than you. I love it. I mean, I thought thought maybe that was part of it, right? I thought maybe maybe if the Patriots had a bunch of star athletes, then we wouldn't hate them though because maybe it's the way they win. Maybe people are just mad about the way the Patriots win championships. No, I don't think that's true. I think if the Patriots had better athletes and won a ton, we'd still get mad at them. Then you would argue that their team is stacked and it's unfair. (laughs) I think the truth is people don't like other successful people. We are jealous of their success. It makes us angry. makes people bothered. I see relationships ruined this way all the time. You know, one person, you know, two people are dating and they both graduate college. One of them gets a really great high-paying job. The other person has to go back to the job they had in high school. And one person, the person with the low-paying job, the person working at the movie theater, while their boyfriend or girlfriend works at the law firm, it drives them nuts. It eats away inside them. They eventually resent the person who's having the success. I think that's what happens with the New England Patriots. I don't know. I don't understand it. Please tell me why. I really want to know. The Patriots dynasty fascinates me. It's interesting. I love it. I mean, this is crazy. This could be Tom Brady's sixth Super Bowl. Six Super Bowls. That's unbelievable. (laughs) I mean, if there was a girl with the Patriots traits, if there was a girl who worked as hard and prepared and had the success and was really smart, man, I would be the first person asking that girl the coffee. I gotta say, I admire it. I respect it. I love the way the Patriots operate. I really admire and respect them. It just, I don't get why everyone hates them. 
And I'm dead serious. If you're on YouTube, if you're on Facebook, tell me below. Tell me why you don't like them. I want to know so badly. I just, I don't get it. Is it the fact they win a ton? Because I mean, I don't know. I just, that, that argument doesn't make sense to me. I respect that. They win a ton. Like, wow. I mean, hey, well done. I, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. I really fundamentally don't understand it. Why does everybody hate the New England Patriots? All right, we have a great show today. I am, I mean, I got to say, I had classes all day today. It's driving me nuts. I, I hate going, I hate taking classes. I love college. I hate my classes. It's just, I want to make this podcast. I, I'm really bothered by it. I'm recording this like at eight o'clock at night on Monday night after all these games. And I wanted to get my stuff out immediately. And I just, oh, I just, oh, I want to do more of this. I want to do more strong opinion sports. I want to make more creative stuff. And I don't want to waste my time on my astronomy class. It's just eating away at my soul. Uh, really good stuff ahead. We're going to double back and go back, talk more about, I'm going to, I'm going to share my perspective on the Patriots and Jaguars game. I think it's interesting. Of course, I think it's interesting. I'm also going to tell you why the Eagles dominated because I was surprised. I did not expect the Eagles to dominate, but there's one very simple answer as to why the Eagles were so great. And it's not what you think either. It's not a very simple one. The simple one would be Nick Foles. It's not just that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and I have a story that literally nobody's talking about. (laughs) I'm so excited. I mean, me and my friend Spencer were talking about it today. And I said, look, man, I don't think anyone, anyone in the news, I don't think anyone's talking about this thing I noticed yesterday in the Patriots game. I can't wait. We have good stuff ahead. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. Again, I know I suck. It's taking me forever. I will get it on Spotify and Google Play very soon. I don't know if you want to listen to it that way. Eventually, it will be up there, so if you want to listen to it that way, you can. Share Strong Opinion Sports with your friends. Tell your friends about this podcast. I love this podcast. It is far and away my favorite thing in the entire world. I want to do this full-time as my job. Please tell your friends about this podcast. Help me get there. Help me grow by sharing the link on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, Reddit. Actually, if you can figure out Reddit. Oh, I don't understand Reddit. It's like a giant... I don't understand it at all, but I know it's powerful. If you can share this on Reddit, that would be huge and really help me. All right, I want to start here. Um, you know, I I really enjoyed the Patriots-Jaguars game. I thought it was a ton of fun to watch. And interestingly enough, the game went exactly like I said it would. <laughs> I was really excited, actually. I called my dad afterwards, uh, and I was like, Dad, I'm so pumped. Like, I said it would happen this way, and this is what happened. And we talked about it, had a great conversation. A ton of fun. I love bouncing ideas off my dad. Uh, the difference, the obvious difference between the Patriots and the Jaguars was Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. I said on uh, Saturday, I guess, I said on Saturday, I said in my last show, if the game comes down to one possession, if one team needs to score, I'm putting money on the New England Patriots. And that's exactly what happened. It's, it's interesting, you know, both teams go into halftime. And at, at halftime, the Patriots defense could not stop Jaguars running the ball. They looked out of sync throwing the ball. Tom Brady wasn't hitting all of his passes. It was weird. I, I was like, huh. But I, I was calm, and the Patriots were calm. Here's why. The Jaguars at halftime probably said this. Hey, look, what we're doing is working. Let's keep it going. We have the lead. We're kicking butt. Let's keep, let's keep it going. Let's do the same thing. Let's keep going. The Patriots were calm, suave, smooth, no panic, and they made adjustments because that's the Patriots' protocol. What are the Patriots' What's the Patriots' biggest strength? What they do better than any other team, probably in the history of the NFL, is make halftime adjustments. That's why the Patriots can win with subpar talent or with teams that aren't quite as talented. I mean, they're talented. Don't get me wrong. They're a good NFL football team. But the Jaguars had better athletes, and yet still 
regardless, the Patriots won because of their halftime adjustments. Tony Romo said it best. I thought it was really interesting. Tony Romo said, Brady is down 10 at home in the fourth quarter versus the number one pass defense without Rob Gronkowski, your number one receiver. And yet, despite all of those things, down 10 in the fourth quarter, best pass defense in the league without Rob Gronkowski. Tom Brady pulled through. Tom Brady made it happen because it's not just about athletes. It's not about this, not about that. It's about the culture and the way the Patriots win games. They make the last move. It's about, you know, if you and I are playing chess, whoever makes, that's ah, a bad example. If you and I are doing something, whoever makes the last adjustment usually wins. That's how the NFL works. The Patriots made the adjustment last and the Patriots ultimately won the game. I want to compare and contrast, you know, the flea flickers, both teams, the Jaguars and the Patriots both ran a flea flicker. And the flea flickers tell the entire story of the game. Bortles goes to run a flea flicker. It gets botched. He makes good play, though. He escapes. He runs to the right, finds a guy, creates a 10-yard gain. Blake Bortles made a great play. I mean, that's really tough. On a flea flicker, when everything goes wrong, to scramble and make a play, that's a huge deal. He made a a 5-yard, 6-yard loss, a big sack, into a 10-yard gain. That's huge. That's awesome. However, when Tom Brady's flea flicker went wrong, they ran a flea flicker. It was covered. Brady calmly sat in the pocket, found his guy, made it, completed a pass to Philip Dorsett. A perfect pass. He was calm and smooth, and he threw a 35-yard pass to Philip Dorsett. Both plays were great. Both teams ran flea flickers. Both of them went wrong, and both quarterbacks made a great play to make up for the botched flea flicker. However, Tom Brady's was better. That's what I'm talking about. Brady, Bortles, Brady was the difference. Brady was just a little bit better than Blake Bortles was. There was a key moment. Uh, it was first and 10 with eight minutes and 35 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And Blake Bortles had played great to this point. To this point, Blake Bortles was, un- I was surprised. I was shocked. It was unbelievable. But when it mattered most, because that, ma- that moment, first and 10, 835 left in the fourth quarter. That was when it was time to see what Blake Bortles was made of. The Patriots made adjustments. Suddenly, the guys who were open for Blake Bortles in the first half, Nothing. You couldn't run the ball. Guys weren't open. And the better coach and the better quarterback won the game. It is as simple as that. I mean, it, that's, that's, it's that simple. That is why the Patriots won the game. They had Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and they made more adjustments at halftime and made better adjustments at halftime than the Jacksonville Jaguars did. It was awesome. This game went exactly like I wanted it to. I wanted Blake Bortles to do really well but ultimately come up short. I want Because I, I don't want people to be able to hate on Blake Bortles. If Blake Bortles, I wanted the Patriots to win, but if Blake Bortles has an awful game, all we will hear all offseason is how much Blake Bortles did not show up when it mattered most. And I'm tired of that. I'm tired of people hating on Blake Bortles. He's better than people think. Now, at least if you still hate on Blake Bortles, it's invalid to me. I don't listen to it. It's like, whatever. He, he proved himself in my opinion. Does that make sense? I think it does. Uh, I mean, Blake Bortles was really, really fantastic on Sunday. He, I mean, think about this. He lost to the best quarterback and the best coach of all time. And he played great. He played great against that, that matchup. I mean, how, how can you fault the guy? He lost to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. They're unbelievable. Here is his stat line. He was 23 for 36 with 293 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, and a 64% completion percentage. I heard people talk about how we were giving credit to Blake Bortles for not screwing up. He didn't just not screw up in this game. He made plays. He did really well. I was very impressed with Blake Bortles. 
He completed passes to 10 different receivers. He wasn't relying on anyone. He was reading the defense and making good plays. I was impressed. And if you're not, I don't understand because his stat line was basically the same as Tom Brady's. He threw for more yards. I think two less completions. It, it basically, it was the same exact stat line as Tom Brady's. And this was the first time all season the Jaguars lost a game when Blake Bortles didn't have a turnover. You know, my, my buddy Q, we were playing catch yesterday after the game. Um, when was it? It was after the game. Sometime, sometime, maybe it was Saturday. We were playing catch. And my buddy Q uh, talked to me about how two years ago, in 2015, Blake Bortles had 35 touchdowns, 4,428 yards, and had a great season. And yet no one saw it because he was hidden away in Jacksonville. And we forget, I forget about that. He was like one of the top quarterbacks for fantasy that year. He had an off year last year, but, and, and again, even me, everybody called for Blake Bortles' job at the beginning of this season. But I'd say he proved everyone wrong. We forget about two years ago, he was great. He had an off year last year. He had a great year this year. I don't know. I think Blake Bortles has proved himself. I compare him to Dak Prescott. I think he might even be a little bit better than Dak Prescott. I think Blake Bortles has definitely proved himself. He earned his keep. He proved his worth. And we need to get off of Blake Bortles' back. All right. I want to talk about the Eagles. Before we go to break, let's talk about the Eagles and the Vikings. Uh, I said last week um, I was going to pick the Vikings to win, and I did pick the Vikings to win because I believe the Vikings trusted their quarterback, Case Keenum, more than the Eagles trusted their quarterback. I was dead flat wrong. In fact, the opposite was true. I loved, I absolutely loved what Philadelphia decided to do. The Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff said, we have nothing to lose. Screw it. We're going to give the ball to Nick Falls and let him rip. We're just going to let him go. They were aggressive. They went all out. And I thought that was the perfect approach. It was fantastic. Because, yeah, you have nothing to lose. Why not trust Nick Foles? Does that make sense? I mean, the Vikings trusted their quarterback less than the Eagles did. And I honestly really, truly thought the opposite would be true. Uh, This was a... A less enjoyable game. I mean, I'll be honest. I was watching the Vikings uh, and Eagles thinking, just thinking about the Patriots, just wanting to know more about the Patriots. That game was awesome. I did not expect a blowout. Um, that shocked me. I thought if, if either, if one team was going to have a blowout, it would actually be the Minnesota Vikings. So the Vikings, if one team was going to have a blowout, the Vikings would blow out the Eagles, not the other way around. But I really thought it was going to be close. I thought it was going to be a one touchdown game. It was far from it. But here's what made the difference. Here is the reason why the Eagles won. There's a very simple reason. Nick Foles was able to handle the pass rush, and Case Keenum simply was not. You know, both teams got pressure on the quarterback. The Eagles had a great pass rush. The Vikings had a great pass rush. Both teams were right in the quarterback's face all game. But when Case Keenum was pressured, he threw a pick six, threw another interception. He got a, had a forced fumble, three turnovers, not great. And I don't like the word exposed, but I want to use it here. I think Case Keenum was exposed. When you get pressure on Case Keenum, when you hit him, throw him to the ground, he can't make it happen. I love Case Keenum. I'm a huge Case Keenum fan, but his limitations showed last night. I've been, I've been preaching all, all year that he's actually one of the more underrated quarterbacks. I was wrong. I mean, I'll be honest. I, lo- I think Case Keenum can still win games, but obviously you need to very well protect Case Keenum or else you're not going to win games. Case Keenum needs, he can't have pressure in his face. Like Tom Brady can avoid the rush. Nick Foles avoided the rush last night. Big Ben can avoid the rush. It's fine to say that, but Nick Foles can, or, but Case Keenum can't avoid the rush. He got exposed last night. 
Oh, you know, that long touchdown before the half for Nick Foles. I'm now switching gears to Nick Foles. It was crazy. Nick Foles handled, in contrast to Case Keenum, Nick Foles handled the pass rush incredibly well. Remember that long touchdown before the half? He's dead to rights in the backfield. He gets away, throws it deep downfield. It looked just like Big Ben. It was exactly like Big Ben Roethlisberger. I loved it, man. Remember, when I talk about trust, before halftime, I mean, the Eagles are slinging the ball all over the field. It's freaking impressive. It was fun to watch. It was really weird. Before halftime, the Vikings had like 35 seconds left. They were trying to drive and get some ground and kick a field goal. And they were throwing little dinky like five-yard passes. If there is not a more clear statement, we don't trust our quarterback than that. That is the most clear in-your-face statement. We do not trust our quarterback. It's weird. I mean, the Eagles were aggressive. The Vikings were not. They didn't trust Case Keenum as much as I thought they would, which is weird. I thought if you don't trust Case Keenum, why not put Sam Bradford in? I I would not take out Case Keenum. I'm ride or die Case Keenum. If the guy got me there, I'm going to die with him. Does that make sense? Like if you're working on a group project and the guy does 95% of the work and then right at the end, you're like, nah, man, I don't trust you to get this done. I'm going to replace you with someone else. That's not right. That's not, I'm not, I mean, I, I know you got to win games, but that's not right. I wouldn't do that. So I think it was right to leave Case Keenum in. But it's surprising because of how little the Vikings appeared to trust Case Keenum. If you don't trust Case Keenum to throw the ball when you have 35 seconds left before the half and you're trying to drive to get a field goal, why not just put Sam Darnold in? Does that make sense? Is that logic? That logic makes sense. Sam Darnold, Sam Bradford, come on, guys. If you don't trust Case Keenum, go to him. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Again, I would have trusted Case Keenum, but I think I would have trusted Case Keenum more than the Vikings did. The Vikings did not appear to believe in him yesterday. And Nick Foles was not afraid. It was awesome. It was like, wow. Uh, when, when Carson Wentz, this is the last thing I'll say, when Carson Wentz got hurt, Nick Foles talked about how he called himself a gunslinger and he sounded brash and incredibly confident. And that's what we saw yesterday. We saw a guy who wasn't afraid. He was aggressive, throwing the ball all over the place, had no reservations. I talked about how uh, I think I said this earlier in the year. Nick Foles was struggling, but he had a great self-awareness. And last night, I mean, he showed it. It was interesting. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and again, the difference for the Eagles was Nick Foles was able to handle the pass rush. Case Keenum simply was not. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a short break. When I return, at the end of the show, by the way, I'm going to discuss Duke's uh, recruiting class, but that's way farther down the road. Immediately next, there is a story nobody caught. Nobody noticed this from yesterday, and I can't wait to talk about it. I think it's actually a real scoop. I'm very excited. After that, the topic will be called Don't Piss Off Tom Brady. My name is Zach Schaumler. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long to 45-minute podcast on YouTube, and you can also find my best most interesting clips. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. There are a ton of 49ers fans that listen to this podcast. And the way you found this podcast, I found out, was someone shared it on a 49ers blog or something like that. Please do more of that stuff. That helps me a ton. Help people find this podcast by sharing the link to it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Reddit, whatever it is. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. That will help me grow and it would be much appreciated. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. By the way, I don't know if you guys are aware, there's a really interesting story. Uh, the Patriots have had to pay Jimmy Garoppolo for their postseason success because Jimmy Garoppolo was on the Patriots roster for at least eight games and is now on an NFC team. 
The Patriots have had to give him a bonus for their playoff wins. He made $79,000 for the Patriots, two playoff wins. And he'll get an additional, if the Patriots win the Super Bowl, Jimmy Garoppolo gets an additional $112,000. And if the Patriots lose the Super Bowl, he still makes an additional $56,000 if they lose. It's ridiculous. It's like, <laughs> he's going to make almost two hundred dollars without doing anything just because he was on the Patriots roster earlier in the year. I think that's pretty funny. I thought that was interesting, uh, an interesting little tidbit. Uh, I am so pumped. This is a story that nobody has picked up on yet. It's like, I think it's kind of a little goldmine. I'm really curious to see what you guys think about it. Yesterday, Rob Gronkowski was hit helmet to helmet by Eric Church. And this had a consequence for both teams. Uh, the consequence for the Jaguars was that they had to they lost 15 yards. They, they got a 15-yard penalty because of Eric Church's hit on Rob Gronkowski. Now, the penalty for the Patriots was much more severe. The Patriots lost Rob Gronkowski for the rest of the game. Gronk couldn't play. It's very interesting. Eric Church went about his business. He was fine. He kept going. He kept playing the game. And Rob Gronkowski was out. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that sounds pretty one-sided. It sounds like one team got a raw deal or the other team kind of got away with one. And I believe this is actually a big flaw with the NFL NFL rules. I think this is kind of a loophole in the NFL rules. It's not great. It's not a good look. Because you can target a guy and knock him out of a game without consequences or with minimal consequences with a only a 15-yard penalty. I think a 15-yard penalty, even though it's not morally right, a 15-yard penalty is worth knocking Rob Gronkowski out of the game. And that, that's not right. That's a loophole in the rules where technically you can strategize to knock people out of a game and have very minimal repercussions. It, it's highly immoral. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm just pointing out if you wanted to strategize for that, you could. And it's a strategy that needs to, it's a potential strategy that needs to be eliminated from the NFL rulebook. I mean, technically you can target guys and knock them out of the games without any consequences. I believe because of this loophole, the NFL should switch to college targeting rules. I think the college targeting rules rules work really well. The way college targeting rules work is that if you target someone, if you get called for a targeting penalty, you're out for the rest of the game. You're immediately, like Eric Church would have been immediately ejected from the game. And if this happens in the second half, if this happens after halftime, you're out for the rest of this game and the first half of the next game. I like that. I think that works. Uh, you know, a accidents happen. I understand, uh, but you 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 can eject guys for accidents. College football does it. The NCAA takes people out of football games. All I saw Hercules Mataafa, a a linebacker for Washington State, my favorite school. He did what seemed like an accident, yet he got kicked out of the game, and it, it made sense. Don't lead with your head. If you go on to lead with your head, expect to get ejected from the game. I think that's the best way to move forward. That's the most safe way to go about it. And, and one flaw on this, I, I know I'm saying that you can strategize for it. You can make a, you can predetermine, oh, we're going to try to take Gronk out of the game by hitting him. I'm not saying the Jaguars did that at all, but I'm saying you could. Now, one flaw in that way of thinking is bounty gate, uh, predetermined stuff appears to be cracked down pretty hard on by the NFL. So maybe, maybe not. Maybe you can't strategize for it. I'm not saying pay people, but if you want to knock a guy out of a game to take some cheap shots, I don't know. I'm just saying if someone wanted to, it's highly immoral. But you could knock a guy out of a game with very little repercussions. And that, I think, is a loophole in the NFL rules. Again, don't leave either head. I'm just curious. I want to know what you guys think. I know that's kind of a crazy conspiracy theory, but no one's talking about that. 
that the Jaguars kind of got away with one. They knock Rob Gronkowski out for the rest of the game, and they only have to deal with a 15-yard penalty. I thought that was weird. I thought that was weird. I'm really curious. What do you guys think? Am I crazy? Am I wrong? I don't know. It just seems like I believe the NFL rules should change. I truly believe that the NFL should switch to the college targeting rules. I think it's safer. I think it's smarter. I think it eliminates those hits a lot more. And it keeps guys in the game. I want to see Rob Gronkowski in that football game. Him coming out. It makes. I guess it makes the drama more interesting. But it, like really, like I want to see Tom Brady at full disposal with all of his weapons. And you'll say, oh, you're just saying that because you like the Patriots. No, I'm not. That's just more interesting. Rob Gronkowski on the football field is good for the NFL. So I, I really think the NFL should switch to the college football targeting rules. Again, if you target someone, accident or not, you're out for the rest of the game. And if it happens after halftime, you're out for the rest of this game and the first half of the next game. I like that. And here's how, if that happened, like if it happened in the Super Bowl, you would, or, or the last game of the season, if it happened for you in week 17 in the NFL, you would sit out week one of the NFL. You would not sit out in the preseason because that doesn't make any sense. It's not actually a real penalty and it hurts football teams because you wouldn't get reps. You want to see guys get reps in the preseason because it helps football coaches determine a guy's ability. So I'm just saying, I'm pointing out, that's a loophole in NFL rules. Change the NFL targeting rule. You guys know what Lane Johnson said about Tom Brady? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I think it's interesting. Uh, Tom uh, Lane Johnson, one of the... Eagles offensive lineman talked about how he would love nothing more than to dethrone, I quote, pretty boy Tom Brady. <laughs> stupid, 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 dumb. I would never say that. That is a big mistake. I believe the Eagles just lost the Super Bowl. You say that, it's over. <laughs> you want to piss off Tom Brady? That's your strategy? An offensive lineman who will never line up on the same field as Tom Brady at the same time because he's an offensive lineman. Tom Brady doesn't play defense. It'll never happen. What are you going to do? You're going to kick Tom Brady's butt. What does that mean? Come on. He just pissed off Tom Brady for no reason. That's dumb. That's stupid. I would not, I would not try to make Tom Brady angry. Do you remember when Roger Goodell decided to penalize Tom Brady for Deflategate? Roger Goodell made Tom Brady sit out the first four weeks of last year's NFL season. And you made Tom angry. He missed a month of football, but he came back pissed off and ready to go. In fact, he had his best season in a long time, even though even though he missed the first four weeks. I mean, he had 3,554 yards passing, 12 touchdowns, only two interceptions, and he won another Super Bowl. He did it in less games. You don't piss off Tom Brady. Don't don't make Tom Brady angry. That's stupid. That is dumb. Don't antagonize him at the very least. I understand you want to say, yeah, I want to beat Tom Brady. Of course I want to beat Tom Brady. He's the best player of all time. You are humble. You not. Don't make Tom Brady angry. That's dumb. He just woke up the dragon. That's stupid. Again, you're an offensive lineman. Keep your mouth shut. You're not even going to be on the same field as Tom Brady. I just saw that quote and I was like, oh man. That is dumb, 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 dumb. You were going to howl. You woke up the dragon. You made Tom Brady angry, and Tom Brady is scary when he is angry. All right. Uh, I want to talk about Nick Foles. Uh, we, we always, we've seen this before. We've seen many, many times. In Super Bowl twenty two. Doug Williams replaced Jay Schrader and won a Super Bowl. And Kurt Warner replaced Trent, Dr- Trent Green 
and won a Super Bowl with the St. Louis Rams. Even Tom Brady, even the great Hall of Fame Tom Brady, came in, replaced Drew Bledsoe in 2001 and won a Super Bowl. My point is this. I believe Tom Brady will win the Super Bowl. I believe Tom Brady and the New England Patriots are going to be the Eagles. But it's not that far-fetched. It is not that far-fetched or that silly to believe the Eagles could win. We've seen it happen before, over and over again. Again, I I 100% think the Patriots are going to win. I don't think the Eagles stand a chance. I have no faith in Nick Foles. But crazier things have happened. And I do believe people may be getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Everyone's like, well, the Super Bowl was great last week. It was really fun watching the Jaguars and the Patriots play for the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, it's not that bad. I know I know the Super Bowl, uh, you know, you have Tom Brady, six rings against a backup quarterback. But guys, the Eagles defense is fantastic. And you might not have Gronk. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just saying. And I, I promise you, I'm not trying to drum up interest. I, I fundamentally fully believe the Patriots will win the Super Bowl. But you have to look back at it. We have to learn from the past. We don't learn from the past for making a huge mistake. And if you look back at the past, there is many, many examples of, I mean, Jim Plunkett replaced whatever quarterback was ahead of him to win a Super Bowl. We've seen backup quarterbacks win a lot of different Super Bowls. Remember when the Miami Dolphins went 13-0 and uh, went 13-0 and won a Super Bowl? They had an undefeated season and a backup quarterback played most of that season. I'm just pointing out, it has happened before and it's happened many times before. It's not that far-fetched to say that maybe Nick Foles will win a game, will win the Super Bowl. Because look, backup quarterbacks win all the time. In fact, Tom Brady, who did Tom Brady beat in the Super Bowl? And I promise you, I'm not trying to drum it up. I do, again, believe Tom Brady's going to win the Super Bowl. Tom Brady beat Kurt Warner, who had just replaced another guy named Trent Green. How ironic, how poetic would it be if the guy who replaced the star was beat by the guy who replaced a star who beat the guy who replaced a star. Does that make sense? It's like a loophole. It's like a, it's a funny, weird, circular thing. Kurt Warner replaced Frank Green. Kurt Warner lost to Tom Brady, who replaced Drew Bledsoe. What if Nick Foles beat Tom Brady, who replaced Nick, uh, Drew Bledsoe, who replaced Carson Wentz? You know what I mean? I, I, that's a circular thing. It's confusing for me to even try to wrap my brain around, but it's very funny. Uh, it's happened before. Learn from the past. Just some food for thought. Before everyone gets ahead of themselves and assumes the Super Bowl's over, the Patriots won. I think the Patriots won. I, I, I strongly believe that. But you got to remember, it's happened before. Crazier things have happened. Uh, on Sunday, we all watched Nick Foles play. And who did Nick Foles play like on Sunday? I said it earlier, maybe you caught it. Nick Foles looked a lot like Big Ben. And this is way ahead of time. I think Nick Foles' contract isn't up till 2019. But I just want to make a really brief prediction. I don't want to waste your time. We all thought it though last night. We all watched. We all watched Nick Foles throw, uh, be 26 for 33, throw for 352 yards and three touchdowns. We all sat there watching Nick Foles go. Where is he going to play next year? Like, you think he's really going to be a backup for the Eagles again next season? We all thought it. Let's let's talk about it. I say put him in Pittsburgh. Nick Foles, perfect situation. It'll never happen. This is just me talking now. It's very silly, but Nick Foles fits the best with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He translates just like Big Ben. He played like Big Ben last night. His style, it's, it's funny. He, the way he avoids the rush, it's like Big Ben. Um, this is brief. I don't want to waste your time. I'm, I'm just pointing out. If you could get Nick Foles behind Big Ben for a year, learn from him, and then step in and replace him, I think Nick Foles can play. I'm not, I haven't given up on his ability as a quarterback completely in the NFL. 
And I think his style of play would work really well with the Pittsburgh Steelers. If I'm Nick Foles, I'm a smart guy. I know the Steelers have a great roster. Their quarterback is aging. I may have to wait a year, but I'm going to wait a year anyways. I would try to get to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's where you can be really successful down the road. My name is Zach Schaumler. I am going to take a short break. Before uh, When I return, I have an embarrassing story. Like It's a, it's a funny... I, it'll entertain you. I really believe that. There was also a huge mistake made with coaching. We'll talk about that. And then at the end of the show, I will react to Duke's draft class. Again, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube. You can also find my best and most interesting clips. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Please help me. I want to grow the podcast. If you tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports, if you share it on Reddit, on Facebook, on Twitter, some random blogs, I don't know. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports and you will help me grow. Please do that. If you love the show, if you like me, please help me grow the podcast by telling your friends about it. I will be right back. I have an interesting tidbit for you. My friend Julian sent me something, and this is his original thought, not mine. It's not something you reposted. This is something he actually typed up and sent to me himself. He pointed out, though, that in 2001, the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl against an NFC West team, the LA, uh, the Rams. Then in 2003, they won the Super Bowl against the NFC South Panthers. Later in 2004, they won the Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles. So NFC West, NFC South, Philadelphia. Now in 2014, it's really funny, it's interesting. uh, They won the Super Bowl against an NFC West team, the Seattle Seahawks. Then in 2016, they beat an NFC South team, the Atlanta Falcons. Now, if the pattern continues, NFC West, NFC South, Philadelphia. The next thing in the pattern right now, because they just beat the Seahawks, they beat an NFC South team, the Falcons. The next team in the pattern is the Philadelphia Eagles, and they are right on schedule. It's kind of weird. It's just a weird, interesting tidbit. They have this crazy pattern. They beat NFC West teams, NFC South teams, and then the Pittsburgh, then the Philadelphia Eagles. So just pointing out, I thought that was a weird, funny fact that if the trend continues, they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, I want to talk about something that is... It's, it's fun. I mean, it, this is a really embarrassing story. This is one I don't, I, I hesitated almost to put it in the podcast, but I think it's, I think it's really funny. Like it really legitimately is a kind of a horror story from my childhood. That's hilarious. I, you may laugh at this. I had to be homeschooled in third grade because I couldn't read. <laughs> and I, I, please, please don't think I was, I wasn't dumb here. My whole rationale is this. I didn't understand why I needed to read. I'm like 10 years old. And I'm like, what does reading do for me? I don't care. I would sit there and I would make little PlayStation portables out of paper. I would fold up these things and I'd pretend to play PlayStation portable um, in my hands. And I was just, I was too busy folding papers and always creating little arts and crafts. I just didn't care what my teacher had to say. It's weird. It's interesting. I, I, I had to learn from my mom how to read because I couldn't, I just didn't pay attention. I didn't tune my teacher out. The point is my teacher's style didn't work for me. I needed a different approach. I needed a more hands-on approach that was tailored for me. I didn't learn how to read because I just wasn't getting the care I needed. I wasn't getting the direct teaching that I needed to learn how to read. Um, Quarterbacks are very similar. Matt Ryan, do you know why Matt Ryan is struggling with Steve Sarkeesian? Because Matt Ryan with Kyle Shanahan, the now 49ers head coach, was phenomenal. And that's because NFL offenses are not one size fits all. You need to tailor offenses for quarterbacks. Matt Ryan right now is trying to fit himself into Steve Sarkeesian's system. 
instead of Steve Sarkeesian trying to fit his system to Matt Ryan. It's similar to standardized testing. I talked about this a lot before. Um, teachers who adjust their teaching style to fit a student are more effective than teachers that just teach. They're like, this is the way I teach. If you can't learn from me, I can't learn at all. That doesn't work. And that's how NFL offenses work as well. You have to tailor your offense to your quarterback. So Matt Nagy and Mark Helfrich were hired in Chicago. Matt Nagy's the head coach. Mark Helfrich is the offensive coordinator. And I thought this was a great hire. I love this. I thought it was fantastic. I think Mark Helfrich is a great dude. I told the story about how I had him talking in my ear for an entire football game. It was awesome. It was fun. They, it has been reported by, I don't know who reported it, that Matt Nagy and Mark Helfrich are doing this for Mitch Trubisky. They're creating an offense around Mitchell Trubisky's best skills, around his best traits. They're tailoring an offense specifically for Mitch Trubisky. And I, I love this. This is fantastic. This is smart. This is how you win, and this will be how to be most effective for Mitch Trubisky. Emphasize what Mitch Trubisky does best. Find his strengths, find his weaknesses. Remove his weaknesses. Use what he's good at. Use his strengths to your advantage. And I love that. Again, this is why Matt Ryan struggled with Steve Sarkeesian. You need to build an offense around a quarterback. Don't make a quarterback adapt to your offense. I heard that Matt Nagy and Mark Helferts were doing that, and I got so excited for the Chicago Bears because if Mitch Trubisky is going to be successful, this is how he does it. If he can't be successful with them tailoring an offense perfectly and specifically for him, he can't be successful as an NFL quarterback, period. Again, I like that Mitch, that Mark Helfrich and Matt Nagy are tailoring an offense specifically for Mark Helfrich. Uh, now for this next story, remember what I just said. It's important to tailor offenses to your players. Adapt your offense to fit your quarterback, not the other way around. Again, the best teachers fit their teaching style that helps their student the best. That's how you be most effective as a teacher. Well, Todd Haley was just hired as the Browns offensive coordinator. And I absolutely hate this. This is an awful, terrible hire. I do not like it. Todd Haley has been called in the past rigid and unflexible. No, 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 no. Rigid and unflexible do not excite me. I want Sam Darnold to have a better coach. I want Sam Darnold to have a coach that helps him grow as a quarterback. Again, this is why Matt Ryan struggled with Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian is trying to fit Matt Ryan into his system instead of trying to fit his system to help Matt Ryan, to use his strengths. You need to adapt a quarterback to an offense, and it does not appear that Todd Haley does that. I don't like that at all. Todd Haley becoming the Browns' offensive coordinator scares me a lot. It's bad coaching. You need to adapt your offense to a quarterback, and if you don't do that, that is bad, that's bad coaching, and I don't think Todd Haley's a great coach. I don't think he's good for a young quarterback. I don't like that. When has he ever done great with a quarterback? I'm dead serious. When has Todd Haley done awesome with a quarterback? I, don't, I can't name a time. Maybe Big Ben, but Big Ben's a Hall of Famer, so I don't know. I don't believe in Todd Haley. I, I think Todd Haley... Oh, it's a terrible hire. I just, I don't know. The Browns turn, I mean, I'm excited. I'm, I've am i been having, I'm going to put something probably behind me someday that says, Browns turn around 2018 and every time we're going to check in, how is the Browns turnaround of their franchise going? And they're off to a terrible start. If you want to win games, if you want to turn your franchise completely around in a 180, 
Hiring Todd Haley seems like a huge mistake. We'll see what happens. Maybe. I hope Todd Haley is great. But I don't believe in him. As a guy who wants to see the Browns turn around, I am rooting. Like My two favorite teams right now in the NFL are the 49ers and the Cleveland Browns. I want nothing more for them to both be successful. And yet, hiring Todd Haley is the step in the opposite direction. I do not like this hire. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we look back at this clip and say, Zach, you're an idiot. You were dead wrong. I don't think I'm wrong, though. I'm very concerned with the Cleveland Browns hiring Todd Haley as their offensive coordinator. Uh, let's continue the outrage. I'm, I'm kind of fired up. I'm kind of angry. Let's keep it going. The Milwaukee Bucks fired their head coach in the middle of the season. This is so, so stupid. I will never understand teams that fire their head coach in the middle of the season. It makes no sense whatsoever. First of all, Jason Kidd has been there for three years. And two of the three years he's been the head coach for the Milwaukee Bucks, the Bucks have made the playoffs. And this would have been... The third time in four years because of the playoffs start today. The playoffs start tomorrow for the Milwaukee Bucks. Jason Kidd would have led them to the playoffs three of the last four seasons. And again, he's only been there. This is his fourth season right now. You fired the guy that gets you to the playoffs three of four years. Are you kidding me? That's wrong. There's never a good reason to fire a head coach in the middle of the season. Because now, regardless of what happens next, your season is over. There's no reason to fire a coach right now in the middle of the season. Your season now done. Look back historically. Now you can point out that the Cavaliers fired David Blatt in the middle of the season and that did work. Fine. I'll give you that one. But that's the exception to the rule. Plus you have LeBron James. You can't come up with any kind of concrete argument that sets a standard if you have LeBron James because LeBron James is so far so opposed from the standard. It's not even funny. It's ridiculous. David Blatt, plus David Blatt wasn't working in the locker room. David Blatt was having problems with the Cavaliers locker room, headbutting with LeBron James. So that tells me there's something fishy in Milwaukee because Giannis, the Greek freak, is saying that he loved Jason Kidd. Him and Jason Kidd got along perfectly. And if Giannis says that, I don't understand why you would get rid of him because Giannis is not only the most important person in your locker room, He's the most powerful person in the Milwaukee Bucks locker room. If, if Giannis tells you to keep your head coach, you keep the head coach. That's how that works. If LeBron James says, or your star franchise player, if your best salesman says, if you fire him, I, I'm not going to do as well. You keep the guy. You keep the head coach that's helping the coach that the star player loves. Giannis, again, is the most powerful person in the locker room. So for him to say he loves the coach that he got fired anyways, it's weird and I don't understand that. There's something fishy going on. Maybe maybe it's true. Maybe maybe Giannis really has no say. Maybe Giannis really had no idea they were going to fire their head coach. It's still really weird. I don't understand. I mean, people say that Jason Kidd is bad at in-game adjustments. Fine. Fine. Maybe Jason Kidd is the worst in, in-game coach ever. But you need to address that at the end of the season because right now you're in the playoff hunt. You have something going for you. Don't screw it up. Now your season is lost. I don't care. Watch, watch what's going to happen to the Milwaukee Bucks. Their season's done. Toast. It's over. And who are you going to hire to replace Jason Kidd? Who, who? Fisdale? Some college coach? I don't know. I don't know, man. This, this is a terrible move. I can't, I can't support it. I don't like it. I just, I don't know. I mean, let's be clear. The problem here is the mid... I'm not, I don't have a problem with them firing Jason Kidd. I know there's a lot of people calling for his job saying, 
He does not work in the middle of games. He doesn't make good in-game adjustments. And that's why the New England Patriots win all their championships. In-game adjustments are super important. But mid-season is dumb. If you're going to fire a guy, wait till, just wait till the season's over. The problem here is that the Milwaukee Bucks fired a head coach in the middle of the season. The only time I think it's okay to fire a head coach in the middle of the season is when it's toxic in the locker room. If you're having issues and the players, he's lost the players, they're not going to play for him, it's not working, then get rid of your coach. But if it's not a toxic environment, if the, co- if the players love him and it's working, you're in the playoff hunt, why would you ever fire your head coach? That doesn't make sense to me at all. Because your season's now lost. So again, the problem here, I don't really have a problem with them firing Jason Kidd. I don't really have a skin, uh, a cat in that race, a dog in that fight. I don't know. Uh, a horse in the race, I guess, whatever the term is. I don't really have a vested interest in the Milwaukee Bucks head coaching situation. But you don't fire a guy in the middle of the season when he's in the playoff hunt and doing well. Not remarkable. I'm not saying he's doing great, but you're in the playoff hunt. That's a successful season, in my opinion, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. So firing your head coach makes no sense whatsoever. All right. Oh, gosh, man. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, I'm going to take a break, relax, breathe, or I don't know. I want to talk now about Duke. <laughs> this one's going to be, this is good. This one's, this is some good stuff. I've been waiting to do this one all day. Um, Duke probably has, would you agree, Duke has the best draft class, sorry, the best recruiting class ever. Like Duke, you probably would agree with me, Duke has the best recruiting class of any college team ever. They have RG Bar- RJ Barrett, the number one player in the nation. They have Cameron Reddish, the number two player in the nation. And they just now signed Zion Williamson, the number three player in the nation. Oh, and by the way, they have Trey Jones, the number eight player in the nation and the number one point guard in the nation. Four players in the top 10. The number one, the number two, and the number three top ranked players in the nation. And the number one point guard who's number eight in the nation. Now, I love this. Oh, man. I know people are angry. Everyone's getting fired up. Everyone hates. They're like, oh, I hate Duke. They're the worst. Again, I talked about this at the opening of the show. I think people are jealous of other people's success. But I love this, man. I may actually watch college basketball before March next season. I, I'll admit, the only games I watch that are college basketball are the ones I work at here at Washington State. I don't care. Until March Madness hits, I have no reason to give a crap about basketball. But this changes my opinion. Now I'm curious. What happens with these? I mean, this is a storyline I'm very interested in. How good is Duke going to be? How well do they, those four guys play with each other? Do they all see the court? I mean, obviously they're going to all play. I can't wait to see what happens. It is so fascinating. And it's funny, you know, uh, Kentucky head coach Mike Calipari ripped Duke. He talked about how, uh, you know, the way that Duke recruits, they're taking an approach that's more than basketball. They're, they're recruiting players with not just talking about basketball. They're talking about far more. You're damn right they should use more than basketball to recruit players. Are you kidding me? Let's let's start with this. If I'm a player trying to decide what program I want to go to. So Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson just uh, committed to Duke. And everyone thought he was going to commit to Clemson. Like Clemson had a huge lead. And he ultimately decided Duke instead of Clemson. If I'm Zion Williamson. And I have a chance to go to either Clemson and play by myself. Or, instead of going to Clemson, instead of sucking with Clemson and trying to win games all by myself, I can go to Duke University. The Duke University that's won championship after championship after championship. With a ton of talent, I'll have help. I can win. I can have fun. 
Oh, and by the way, by the way, you get to learn from Coach K. Coach K is not only a basketball genius, Coach K is a guy I'd want to be around to learn about life from. If I'm a college kid making this decision, it's very easy. I'm going to Duke tomorrow. I want to play with good players. I want to win games. And I want to learn about more than basketball because apparently Calipari is like, hey, they recruit with more than basketball. I want to learn about life from Coach K. I'm, if, I'm a, if I'm a dad and my son is trying to decide where to go play basketball in college and he gets an offer from Duke, doesn't matter. Does, doesn't matter who else offered him. Duke is where he's going. Because not only does he have a great basketball experience, where he can learn from Coach K. He can learn the game of basketball from Coach K. He will also be a better person because of the interaction he would have with Coach K. I think that highly of Coach K. Zion Williamson, of course he chose Duke. Wouldn't you choose Duke? Like, you're telling me. You would rather choose Clemson, a, a team that's not historically a great basketball team, that you're going to be all by yourself. Or go have fun. Go to Duke. Win games. Play for a great head coach. Learn about life and learn about basketball. You're, you're, you're lying if you're telling me you're not picking Duke. Come on, guys. That's, that, you can't rip. Everyone's mad. Everyone's upset about Duke. I'm not. I think it's, it's great television. It's an interesting story. And I, the players, of course, that's what they chose. That's what I would have chosen. And if you're telling me you wouldn't choose that, you're lying to yourself. Come on. Coach K, you get to win a ton of games. You get to play basketball for free. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I really, I can't believe people are so outraged. Everybody is so angry at people being successful. Like people just resent success. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't understand. I, when I see people that are successful, I'm like, hey, can I meet with you? Can you tell me about what you're doing? Like, I just, I don't know. I, I got to work with a, a filmmaker in LA this summer and he won Sundance at 21. It was incredible. And, you know, when he told me about his success, I was like, how do I get there? What do you do? And I, he mentored me, he taught me a lot of stuff. I don't know. I don't, I don't resent success, and I don't think people should. I don't understand why people do so often. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, this is my favorite show in the world. This is my passion and my podcast that I just I love. I love it. I appreciate you guys listening. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire podcast on YouTube as well as my most interesting clips. Please help me out. Please tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. If you can, if you probably know Reddit better than I don't understand Reddit at all. If you understand Reddit, please tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Share it on Reddit, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, whatever you want. Please help me grow the podcast by telling your friends and sharing the links to this podcast on the internet. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports and help me grow. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for listening. Uh, we're going to be back on Wednesday. Wednesday is going to be a fun podcast because a lot of different things happened in the NFL today. A lot of coach movement, a lot of player movement, interesting stuff, rumors, this and that. Wednesday is going to be a great podcast. I, I promise you, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl, but we're also there's a lot of good stuff uh, to talk about because a lot of coaching moves happened. I think Pat Shermer just got hired by the Giants. A lot of fun stuff. Wednesday is going to be awesome. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day, everybody. Bam, we're done.